standing up in McKinney. This is According to Callus. It is going to be the return of Winsome Wednesday. <laughs> yes. Uh, May the 10th, episode 414. Uh, you know, it's been a rough couple of days. I'm uh, behind schedule, behind uh, behind a couple different schedules. So I am going to probably have to record this in two different segments. Uh, if I'm lucky, I'll be able to keep them in one uh, sequential recording, but we will see. Today we're going to talk about moving on an action plan and learning from mistakes. Before I do that, I'm going to revisit the uh, the Monday, or I'm sorry, I guess in part I'm revisiting both Monday and Tuesday, but I want to revisit briefly the events from Saturday, particularly the uh, mall massacre, if you will. Um, but before I get there, let me remind you. Uh, as painful as it may be, the way you help me help you is to like, share, and subscribe to this show. And I know it sounds a little crass, but it is part of the deal. Without doing this, I can't grow the show. If I don't grow the show, I can't keep doing it forever. <laughs> so, uh, again, and if you're particularly motivated, you can rate or review this show. All right, so on with the program. All right, so... Undoubtedly, we're going to hear a lot of heated rhetoric, a lot of emotional outbursts, a lot of um, knee-jerk reactions to what went down uh, in Allen, Texas. I don't know that yesterday's episode was entirely satisfying. I don't know that ever I'm going to be satisfied, or nor should you, on what happened and how to deal with it. But what I can tell you is a lot of the so-called solutions are not going to solve anything. They're going to punish the wrong people and we need to be very, very careful. That being said, yeah, there's, there's an honest discussion that needs to happen, right? People have to be willing to at least hear both sides out or three sides or four sides or how many ever sides we're going to have on this equation. We need to be open, honest and of goodwill. And no, I'm not willing to sacrifice pre-existing God-given rights that are enshrined in constitution. However, I'm not so close minded, not so myopic as to disregard and disavow legitimate concerns or listen out to other ideas something short of crossing the red line if you will i mean there there are bound to be ideas that are plausible workable and don't violate my rights don't violate your rights but if you don't have a discussion if you're not willing to consider something beyond that um how are you being helpful? What, what What's an honest discussion going to contain uh, if you're not willing to hear the other side out? And, and I guess that's part of being winsome is you can agree to disagree. You can disagree politely. Um, you can even uh, disagree voiceforously, 
but you do it with honor and even handedness. And to that end, you know, it'd be really easy and convenient to start pointing fingers at responsible parties or responsible ideas for both events that happened on Saturday. Yeah, I want to tie this in, you know, Collin County for so long has been in a bubble and it was a good bubble. We loved our bubble. We were protected. We were warm. We were happy. We were all quasi-conservative Republicans and of a similar mindset and bad things just didn't really happen in Collin County. I mean, bad things happen they're occasional and they're usually small, but nothing like this. Well, I got to tell you, Collin County's changed a whole lot since I've moved here. I would say I'm the jury's out, whether it was for overall for the better, overall for the worse. But there are outcomes that indicate both possibilities. There are, there are things that are both better and worse, and you have to be even-handed and fair-minded about this. And that's the challenge, right? Bad things happen, but what comes out of it is what matters. What is the outcome of a tra- tragedy of a, a horror show? What, what happens after that? What do you do? That's really what I'm trying to get at. You know, when you when you talk about being winsome, you're talking about an issue that's important without being offensive. And honestly, I think a lot of people on my side struggle with that. I know I do. I mean, look, my first instinct is you punch me, I want to punch back twice as hard. I mean, but you got to dial it down a bit. I mean, we're not having an argument for the sake of having an argument. We want to have a discussion so that we can convince the other people watching, the other people that might be undecided. We want to give them an opportunity to weigh it out. Now, if we lived in a perfectly rational and objective society, well, I would win all the time. My team was right most of the time. Why wouldn't we win? That's, I mean, that's the mindset, right? But we don't. People are governed by emotions, by needs that we don't understand, by fears, by desires, greed, lust, whatever. They don't think the same about everything. They're not internally consistent. So we have to be willing to understand that when we're addressing them. We have to be willing to talk to people. The word is level, but it's probably not appropriate because that almost connotates that you're talking down to them. Um, you, we got to communicate in their language, their heart language, right? What's important to you? How, what do you think about this? And how can I communicate in such a way that fits within that? And I'm here to tell you, that's a struggle for people right of center. The left is so much better at being emotional than we are. Now, the right gets cranked up on their emotions on a few key subjects and they see red and can't focus on anything beyond that. The target acquired, we must detonate. I mean, yeah, that's maybe useful, but we're, we're supposed to be better than that. We're, we're supposed to be able to think beyond that. The whole concept that everybody must be in lockstep to be working on the same thing is kind of myopic in and of itself. 
I mean, think about this. If everybody thinks the same way and everybody is in complete and utter agreement, does anything ever change? Is it even able to be changed? I imagine there's quite a few dystopian novels that bring up that question and give you various answers. The goal isn't not to punish anybody in this conversation, this monologue, if you will. This is not about beating anybody up. It's not about assessing blame. It's trying to figure out what did we do? How did we let down our people? That's a tough question. That requires that you're willing to set aside your preconceived notions, that you're willing to mm, take your dog out of the hunt, if you will. If you're, you're willing to say, I want the truth at all costs. I'm willing to set aside my personal desires for the larger truth. I'm going to tell you, everybody struggles with that. I'm not above that, nor is anybody else listening to the sound of my voice. But when you can take the time and look into it and find out what were the points of failure, where are our structural weaknesses, where did we get exploited by the enemy? Now, how do we fix that? How do we change this? What's an appropriate reaction or proactive measure to prevent this in the future? Those are all good answers. (laughs) I'm sorry. Those are all good questions seeking good answers. Wow. (laughs) But when you look at things from the side of process improvement, right, from from a function or systems management, and you can see how these things are laid out and how they're supposed to work and how do they engage and change due to the circumstances, if you limit their flexibility, you limit their ability to act. It's as simple as that. Now, I'm going to be honest. There are a whole lot of things that I personally think that I don't share. One, because they're not productive. And two is they might, in fact, be counterproductive. I, I and my audience, we have been quite open about the fact that in a perfect world, I believe there would be no need for government education. I would be enthusiastically supportive of that. But I'm also smart enough to know we don't live in a perfect world. And I've told you all this many, many times. Yet when I talk to people that are on my team, and there are a lot of them that are pro-government schools, they're, they're supportive of the public schools. They think that there's a net positive out of that, even though there are issues. And I say, I'm going to agree to disagree with you based upon the fact that I can't change what is. And because what is isn't going to change, I have a vested interest in getting the best outcome for what it is. So in this instance, this is an example of taking the best possible option. So sometimes that applies to other things. And I, and I really wish people could be willing to admit that that's the case a lot of times. Largely, if you're not willing to accept that, it's difficult to create an action plan. Now, many people have different ideas or notions of what an action plan is and what it's supposed to do. For me, I would look at it as we have these areas of concern. We have these applications or these solutions that we want to try and you know put in place. 
And we're going to do a little bit of A-B testing, right? Do we get better results with this or better results with this? Or are both worse? But again, if you're not willing to try something new, if you're not willing to observe the outcome, you're never, ever going to improve it. That's part of the process. So an action plan also requires that you've got to think two or three steps forward, right? You can't just be reactive. You have to be proactive and you have to look at, I'm going to do this. My opponent's likely to do this, but in the event they don't do this and they do that, what is my response or what are our actions we're going to take if this or that happens? And yes, I'm being specifically vague because, well, that's what this is about, right? It's a applicable to almost everything. And it's a challenge for me to <laughs> avoid getting too uh, specific. <laughs> uh, and again, this goes directly to the idea of learning from mistakes. Clearly, we made mistakes. Some are obvious, some are not obvious. But if you're not willing to investigate and find out where was the point of failure, you're never going to be able to solve the problem. So I've talked about in the past how I like to watch uh, videos. Um, there, there's this tube place and I go there and I, and I watch videos because quite frankly, most TV is unwatchable these days. And one of the ones I've run across is this guy called a real engineer and he kind of plays around with games and shows you what he did, why he did it and kind of has a little fun doing it. And honestly, I never thought I'd have fun watching somebody play a game. I never thought that was entertaining in, in many ways. Most of it isn't, but in this specific instance, it's the game is polybridge. Don't know what that all means other than many bridges. And he designs bridges from the, uh, you know, just almost a guess process, right? The idea is to make the strongest or the most efficient, which is cheap and strong bridge that you can to accomplish whatever feat the game sets up. One of the benefits that it has is you can test it as many times as you want with a simulation. And during the simulation, it shows you exactly where the weakest point is, where it failed. Where I'm going with this is the game tells you and shows you through the simulation where your point of failure is so you can go back and fix it. You can change the length of the structure, the strength of the structure, or you can add or subtract the number of pieces of the structure to get you the outcome you're looking for. So you're thinking, well, Kels, how in the world does a silly game have anything to do with this? Well, here's the deal. We don't have a simulation to show us where the points of failure are. We don't know exactly what's going to fail and where it's going to fail. But we could game some of these things out. We could look at the bigger picture. How do we accomplish what it is we're seeking to accomplish? And if X happens, how do we behave? How do we react? We game some of this stuff out. We run our own simulations. But it'll be interesting to see if that's feasible. The other way you can learn from your mistakes, um, politically speaking, is if you run a candidate that loses, you probably need to find out what is it that cost that a candidate the race. And it's real easy to say, well, they weren't well-known or they didn't have enough money. And those both, both may be true, 
But what if the people just don't like them? Or what if the people just love the other person? And it doesn't have to be rational. It's just a natural attachment. Case in point, somebody's been in office for 39 years. It's pretty much assumed that they're going to be in office for four more years if they so choose, as long as they're mentally fit, because the people legitimately like them, or at least the majority of the voting people do. How about that? But how do you overcome that? See, now now we're getting closer. What was our mistake? How do we learn for it? What's the action plan to go forward? And how does that allow us to move on? Okay, that's the end of part one. I'll be back and we're going to transition into a little more after this. All right, so I am back for part two. Here we go. <clears throat> this part's going to be less winsome. Got to be honest. Uh, I'm going to spend, I don't know, about 10 minutes or so talking about the extreme disappointment and sadness that I have in my formerly favorite representative, none other than Mr. Slayton. Now, I'm not convinced that I know all the details. I don't think that I'm in a position to judge the man. Um, He's going to have to take that up between he and his wife and he and God Almighty. But based upon the fact that he, according to the report, and I read, I read the report. I got to be honest, I didn't study it. Um, I don't know that I have all the details committed to memory, but I find it hard to believe um, <laughs> that this man fell completely on his own. But the fact of the matter is he did fall. He failed. Now, typically when something like this happens with a pastor, they should be immediately removed uh, after there's an appropriate investigation. There wasn't an appropriate investigation. The man resigned. Um, But apparently the state house thought it was more important to not just accept the resignation, but expel him, thus wasting valuable time where they could have been doing actual work. But again, your mileage may vary on that. Uh, I'm just going to say I'm a little dubious. And what's most sad is I think at least on behalf of two of the representatives that uh, should have known better to waste valuable time on that. Uh, And I imagine part of the angst is he had spent a lot of time making these guys look bad and then he screwed up and they wanted to make sure not only did they make him look bad, but they spiked the ball on top of it. It's a little vindictive, though it is politics and uh, nothing is surprising, right? <clears throat> and as if that wasn't bad enough, the SREC decided to weigh in as well. If he isn't going to resign, you should expel him. Oddly enough, they didn't feel it was necessary to wait for uh, my understanding. My understanding of the timing of the events could be off. They to my understanding, they didn't even wait until the full investigation was done. But again, it's it's really hard to defend a guy that admits he made a mistake. He admits that he, at the very least, violated the trust of his constituents, violated the trust of his wife, and uh, quite frankly, he violated a young lady. <laughs> now, <clears throat> that's not something to laugh about, but I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, when I... 
it's kind of uh, emotional. It's really sad. So break it down simply. <laughs> there was a slight slip of the tongue there. Uh, gentlemen, in case you're wondering, you shouldn't be having women in your hotel room that are not your wife or betrothed with whichever uh, way you want to go with that. Uh, gentlemen, you shouldn't be taking women out for dinner or for drinks that aren't your wife. Now, the sad, terrible irony in all of this is we spent an enormous amount of time going after a guy for a legitimate failing and punished him as severely as we possibly could, maybe justifiably, a jury's still out because be that as it may. But on the other hand, we have done nothing to stop gender modification, which in case you're not sure is performing unnecessary surgeries on healthy body parts to have them removed. We've done nothing to prevent adult males dressed up as females or some character from dancing suggestively in front of young impressionable children. We've done nothing to stop uh, <clears throat> giving lifetime altering hormones to minor children. We've done nothing to stop a whole slew of things that are far worse than one guy having sex with somebody that he ought not have had sex with. And they're beating their chests and wailing how terrible this is. And we have to run this man off. He's embarrassed us all. And we look terrible. I really think the beating of chests and wailing has more to do with the fact of prior to his failing, which is significant. He spent most of his time making you guys look like a bunch of cowards and weaklings and not following through on all those campaign promises to protect minor children from abusive behavior and abusive surgery and abusive life-altering drugs. The sad thing is, is this was a convenient escape for you guys. I don't know which is more shameful. The fact that my favorite house rep or my formerly favorite house rep screwed up beyond my comprehension or the fact that you guys are making... <laughs> An example out of him, which maybe is deserved, but then using that as a convenient scapegoat for not getting the work done, you should have been getting done all along. And and we continue to tolerate this. We continue to tolerate the scraps that we're going to get from this session. Hey, but you have a convenient scapegoat, right? You made the guy look as bad as you possibly could. Now, I'm fairly certain, I'm fairly certain that mm, I'm going to be lowballing this. 10% of the elected officials that are down in Austin right now have been engaging in some form of, some form of infidelity. That's just a speculative guess. And strangely enough, we've heard nothing of it. No action has been taken. No investigation has occurred and no punishment has been meted out. And the reality is they're not going to because one, it allows them to manipulate that other person. 
two, it serves their greater purposes of having them compromised. And three, nobody really cares. If it had been uh, somebody other than Brian Slayton, quite possibly they would have been very happy to hush this up and control them and make them manipulative or manipulate, <laughs> manipulatable. I guess that's the proper way. Manipulatable going forward to force their hand and make them do things they wouldn't otherwise do because they had dirt on them because they could control them. The difference is for better or for worse, Brian owed up to the fact that he stepped, you know, stepped way across the line that he violated a whole lot of stuff. Now, sadly, I've heard that he thought he might be able to get away with it. He thought he might be able to continue to serve. No, Mr. Slayton, you did the right thing. Late, perhaps, but you did the right thing. You needed to resign. Go home to your wife. I'm sorry. Uh, I would consider you a good acquaintance, and that's maybe a stretch. And I thought the world of you, man, but you, you screwed up. No elected seat is worth tanking your marriage. And it's real easy to say because I don't have an elected seat, but nothing out there should be worth tanking your marriage. I don't know what the way forward is, but I really wish the rest of the Texas house would be done dunking and get their butts back to work. There's a whole lot of things that we expected out of you that you've now wasted several days doing nothing over other than a little virtue signaling and dunking, for lack of a better word. Okay, fine. You made your point. Now, do the job that you were sent there to do in between your own junk and orgies. Hmm? Oh, was that offensive? Come on. We all heard for years about the nonsense that goes down in Austin. In fact, I had more than one professor talk about (laughs) where all the prostitutes go during the legislative session. And then they were quick to point out, and I'm not just talking about the ones that use the bedroom. It's messy business. It's dirty business. But if good Christian men can't go down there and keep their pants on, we're in trouble. Now, fortunately, we do have some that go down there and they do keep their pants on. I just wish they would focus on doing the work that we sent them to do as opposed to playing chummy with the people that seek to destroy that which is Texas. If you think that's too harsh, then you hadn't been paying attention, in my opinion. So, like I said, a little less winsome there. (sighs) You know, I just, I don't know what else to say about that. I kept my mouth shut. I'd hoped it wasn't true. I hoped it was gross exaggerations. And then you read the investigation and it's quite clear. So when I saw that the SREC decided to jump the gun and call for the resignation or expulsion, uh, and it wasn't even the entirety of the SREC, apparently they didn't even want to bother to wait for the chairman to sit down and have a discussion. I wondered, what was their point? What what were they trying to accomplish here other than make themselves look good? I mean, maybe they read the report or maybe they were aware of the report. Maybe that was enough that they felt comfortable waiting 
no longer. Maybe they, maybe they felt the need to get out ahead of it. Don't know. I don't know what their motivation was. But, you know, I believe that conservatives, Republicans, Christians also believe that there is something called due process, that we value everybody having their say and a true and just outcome. But when you short circuit the system, when you jump ahead, I don't think you're serving anybody's best outcome by doing that. Now, history apparently is going to show that they were correct, that there was enough there there to justify the call. And while they may have jumped the gun, or maybe they didn't, depending on what they had access to and when they had access to it, I got to wonder if they're not setting a really bad precedent. That just the mere accusation is enough. Or the accusation of uh, two witnesses was enough. When actually there wasn't two witnesses, but be that as it may. I got to say for myself, I think there's more going on here than we know. But that does not excuse, and nor will I look to mitigate the bad choices made. Again, you don't have any business being in a hotel room or taking out to dinner a woman that's not your wife or ladies, a man that's not your husband. Now, yeah, 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 if you're dating, okay, follow me here, folks. You give an oath to your wife. Or at least I did. My wife gave an oath to me. Forsaking all others in sickness and health for better or for worse, right? Some variation to that. And you did it in front of witnesses and in front of Almighty God. And unfortunately, in many cases, you do it in front of the state as well. So when you violate that, sorry. There are consequences. You may not get caught. Nobody may never know, but you'll know. Your other partner will know. And you know what? Almighty God knows. You don't get away with it forever. It always catches you. But you got to be really, really careful when you're casting those stones. Because someday you might find yourself living in that same glass house. And with that... This is According to Callus, and I will see you on the other side.